Disclaimer time. Unlike most of the other Bioware games, I've actually only played Jade Empire twice. Once when it came out and once for this rumination. So I don't know it as well as I do the other titles. And to be honest, I don't really have as much to say about it. Make of that what you will. <clears throat> I did still enjoy it. Jade Empire feels weird to me. Historically speaking, as of this very moment, in fact, as of just this last week, Bioware admitted that they're not opposed to going back to doing Star Wars games again, but they really want to focus on Dragon Age and Mass Effect. And yet, no mention is made of Jade Empire. I'm starting to wonder if there's some legal problems with regards to why they seem to be so insistent on not returning to this setting, because it feels like there's a lot of work they could continue doing. There's a lot of stories they could keep telling in this setting. Granted, the story of Jade Empire itself has thoroughly and utterly concluded, and it ended in a way that you almost can't do a direct sequel to it because the endings are so wildly different from each other, you just can't accommodate for that. But there are other stories you could tell within the same setting, and they seem to be hesitant to even bring that up as a possibility. I've never been able to, to find out why to my own satisfaction, so I can't tell you why. I can only speculate. I do also want to mention uh, something else about this game. This game felt like KOTOR 2. I, I just realized I have to clarify that statement. I don't mean Knights of the Old Republic 2, the Sith Lords, or whatever. I mean... One of the things I both like and dislike about this game is that it feels like an expansion to KOTOR 1. It's the same, it feels in almost every way like the same system and structure with a couple of slight variances. I mean, I know they use the same engine and it's really obvious that the cutscene approach and style is the KOTOR cutscene and approach and style. Uh, obviously the combat is wildly different, or at least feels wildly different to me. But other than that, it feels like someone sat down and said, let's make a total conversion mod of KOTOR 1, but set it in, you know, a Chinese-inspired history. Yeah, let's do it! That's, that's the impression I got from this. And that's not a complaint, for record. It's just something that made me go, this is a game that I wouldn't mind having a proper remake of, to use my own terminology. Because my other complaint about this game, well, I shouldn't say other complaint, because the former thing isn't a complaint. This is a complaint. The game feels a little stilted at times, like a little stuttering. The dialogue is of varying quality. A little too often I feel that some people say too much. Uh, this is actually a problem I mentioned just uh, recently when it came to the Xenosaga series, where rather than relying on animations or you know visual presentation, people would say things, and I feel that that detracts from the scene. So a lot of the dialogue is a little too on the nose in Jade Empire. But then some of the other dialogue is really, really good, and there's some good characterization throughout most of it. You know, it's it's a Bioware staple, back when Bioware was still Bioware. It also, uh, mm, the combat feels like something that was grafted on to the, I don't remember the name of it right now, engine, the, the KOTOR engine what that they were using. It's fun, but also... I don't know how to explain it. It feels like something that isn't designed to work this way, right? That's why I mentioned my total conversion comment earlier. It feels like someone was using the methods of the game to make something else happen. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, because I'm, I'm failing at describing this. How many of you have ever played custom maps in Warcraft 3, right? Or StarCraft 2, but Warcraft 3 is really the better example of this. And how many of you have played maps like racing maps, right? That was, I believe that was an official one, where you... You know, the camera is behind your unit and you hit buttons and those buttons make you race around. But what's happening isn't 
you hit left and the game turns you left. What's happening is you hit left and that sends a command to some unit, which is actually off camera, which runs a script, which then tilts you a certain number of degrees to the left, right? In other words, it's forcing a mechanic into an engine that doesn't otherwise support it. And it al there's always that weird feeling of it just being a little bit off. The word I want to use is actually amateur, but I, at the same time, that doesn't quite fit. You know what I mean? That's why I call this like a total conversion fan mod, or an expansion, or something like that. That's probably one of my bigger complaints about the combat of this game, because I love a lot of the concepts of the combat. Uh, for record, I wrote down what I was using. Uh, legendary style, just leaned on that most of the game. Um, I used uh, the Storm Dragon? Yeah, that's right. And, and of course, the staff. Uh, Jade Gollum, whenever I felt like just absolutely destroying something. And my main follower was Sky, because of course she was. I needed more focus. But I like a lot of what they do with the combat. The idea of, okay, so you've got your unarmed martial arts styles, right? And then you've got your weapon martial arts styles. And then you've got your casting styles. I guess I shouldn't call this martial arts. So you've got your casting styles, and then you've got your transformation styles. Each of these varies the gameplay significantly enough to feel different from each other. Then there's the fact that you have your health, your chi, and your focus. Health is obvious, but then uh, chi is something that can be used either to cast spells, to heal, or to empower your attacks. And I like that option. I like that variety of being able to, to diverge that resource in whatever direction you want to. I also like the usage of focus, both for bullet time, which is nice if you're getting overwhelmed, especially in harder difficulties, or for using your weapons to actually use a weapon attack, which is, of course, necessary when you're fighting golems later on. Hence, leaning on the staff so heavily. I didn't use bullet storm too, or bullet storm, listen to me, bullet time too much. I most, I did mostly use my focus for weapon attacks. And I also love what they do with the followers. You've got their followers and they can attack and blah, blah, blah. But, I don't know, maybe it was just my experience and my lack of trust in the AI. I ended up using, pretty much putting all of my followers that I could, because not all of them have the mode, into support mode, where they just sit there and go, vroom, vroom, or whatever, and give you benefits for doing so, hence my leaning on Sky so much. I like that. I like a lot of those options and a lot of those design choices. I think those would be awesome in an engine specifically designed to take advantage of it. This should be a full, straight-up action RPG. It just doesn't feel like one to me. And I, I have a feeling I'm going to get blasted for this. Don't mistake this. I did enjoy going back through Jade Empire. Although, if I'm being honest, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as my first time. And that's the next thing I want to comment on. Um, this is a game where your choices matter pretty significantly. Uh, it's also a very short game and a very dense game. This is something that I feel uh, it works in its favor. There's a lot happening in a short period of time, and the, that allows you to make your choices matter a little bit more than they otherwise would, because, you know, it only has to matter for the next, like, eight hours or ten hours or whatever. And one of my favorite examples of that is, is the final battle, where who shows up and how they show up and where they support you and all that fun stuff changes significantly based on how you've been going through the game, who you've recruited, whose side quests you've done, which side of the good versus evil thing you're on, all that stuff. It's great. Uh, I actually did a little research and reading up to, in a walkthrough, all of the other options that can happen on certain quests and certain uh, side things, including the final battle, like I mentioned, and the endings that you can get. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Because while there are basically only three endings, there's a huge variety of things that can happen in the epilogue, which is kind of a Bioware standard, really. At least it was. 
Um, so it's all good stuff. I like it. I like it. But this game feels like a game that... This is pure impression, pure opinion. But I feel like it's not quite as good the second time around. This is basically the opposite of the Babylon 5 effect. Knowing everything going into it didn't add to it for me. Instead, it was more like, okay. like It's not like there isn't foreshadowing. In fact, there's quite a bit of foreshadowing. My favorite personal bit of foreshadowing is the many people you end up dueling over the course of the first like five chapters of the game, six chapters of the game. I don't remember when it really stops. But for quite a while, as you're dueling people, they will consistently refer to this flaw in your technique, which I never actually saw. But you know, there's this weird thing about the way you trained and the way you're 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 approaching your combat, and then you beat them. And of course, playing this for the first time, they're like, "Aha! You were just luring me into a false sense of security, or whatever, um, or maybe I was just misseeing things." But since there was no real indication of that, I got the impression uh, that first time I was playing it, that that was mostly about them seeing how you were still learning, leveling up, more or less, literally. You know, it's like, aha, you are fool to do this, and up. <laughs> I thought that's what they were going with. It didn't occur to me that it was a deliberately crafted flaw that could be exploited. Going through the second time, it's like, aha, yep, there's the flaw, and people keep pointing it out. It doesn't have the same impact, and while that stent can still be a good thing, in this case, I don't think it was. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this one, because I really feel like I'm going to be on the outlier on this one. I felt like this game was actually not as good. I don't want to say worse, because that implies I didn't like it. I still enjoyed replaying it, but just nowhere near as much as the first time. I think the other reason for that, though, leans heavily on the fact that a lot of the story elements rely on the uh, misdirection and the twists. I want to explain what I mean by that really quickly. I'm not going to use any other examples because I t generally have a policy of not spoiling other works in an unrelated work. But presume for a moment that there is a game. Uh, we'll call it the uh, Sled Simulator 5000. And in Sled Simulator 5000, all of the game is building up to one crucial climax point. And oh my god, it was his sled! Bom, bom, bom. Now, that can work, and that's a good story approach, especially if it's well-constructed and well-presented. But that work will inevitably be weaker the second time you go through, because you know. You know where it's going, and you know what it's doing. You might enjoy the ride still, like I enjoyed the ride through Jade Empire. But I feel like Jade Empire leans so heavily on the power of its twists, of which there's more than one. Uh, but the big one being Lee, of course, Sun Lee. I keep wanting to say Soon Lee, and then they keep saying Sun in-game, and it's like, okay, I'm... I'm I need to make a note to pronounce that correctly, or people are going to jump down my throat. But, you know, Lee is, is the biggest example of this, although he is not the only example of this. The game also does a lot of, here's a big reveal, ah, just kidding, that's not really the big reveal. And there's a lot of leaning on, uh, how do I put it, subversion. Of typical things. So, the Emperor is a weak and, and sniveling coward and, and being ruled from the shadows by the true power of the Empire, Death's Head. No, just kidding, Death's Head is actually just an armored, well, a soul that's been bound to a suit of armor. That was Sun, uh, sun Kin. <laughs> and the Emperor is the really evil guy. Oh, wait, the Emperor and, and Sun Lee is the real, real evil guy, and right? Like, <laughs> 
I'm nailing the big ones, but you get my point. There's a lot of stories, uh, most of the particular arcs going through feel like subversion. You know, this, this is what you're expecting. But then it was really this. Uh, the arena arc comes to mind immediately. You must go against the Ravager, who's merely a pawn of the guild. Oh my god, it's Raging Ox. You know. Now I mentioned this, I want to give a bit of contrast to what I'm talking about, because in, uh, I will use Babylon 5 as an example. Babylon 5 certainly has reveals and twists, but I feel like a lot of the strength of Babylon 5's story does not lean on those twists. In other words, not everything is building up to, oh my god, it was secretly a sled. Instead, you know, you're building up and building up and having character stuff and having story stuff and plot stuff and things are moving forward, and then something happens like, oh crap, now I gotta do this instead. Right? In other words, a story like that lessens the impact of the twists or the reveals, and as such, in my opinion, works better on a second playthrough, or a second watch-through in the case of Babylon 5. Does that make any sense? I hope I'm making some kind of sense here, because I was trying really hard to wrap my mind around this when I was going through It's like, why am I just not getting into this that much? Now, the next thing I want to talk about is Hatties, because I liked what they did with the Old Tongue. Apparently, they actually did bring in a linguist in order to try and make the Old Tongue sound like a language. But every time I heard it, I just kept thinking it was Hatties. Like, every time. It sounded so much like it. It was very strange. They did a good job with it. But <laughs> what I really want to talk about, that was just a... That was misdirection. Ha ha ha! Subversion. What I really want to talk about is the open palm and the closed fist. Now, I remember when I first heard about this game, back when it was coming out, and that was the thing that really hooked my attention, more than anything else. You know, action RPG, Chinese-style, Bioware, okay, all of that sounds good. It was, it was definitely a game I was going to pick up and play. This? This sounded awesome. Because at the time, and I think I mentioned this back in my Fable Rumination, I don't know, it was a bit ago now, um, at the time, I was kind of getting a little bit eh, on the whole good versus evil thing. It wasn't like it was a bad idea. It's not. It's just something that I was like, okay, yeah, you know, a lot of games were having good versus evil meters at around that time in history, and it was like, okay, here's another good versus evil meter. But the way they sold it was the idea that it wasn't, that it was two different philosophies that are not good or evil. And I was like, oh, that sounds so cool! And then you play the game and it's good versus evil. Look, I'm sorry, there are exceptions. Uh, the Slave... My favorite example is the slave, where you can show the closed fist by teaching her how to free herself. But those are the exceptions, not the rules. And generally, if you are the open palm, you are helping people or protecting people. And generally, if you're the closed fist, then you are being a jackass. And in some cases, actively cruel. Lord knows this is most demonstrably shown in the endings. In the open palm ending, you restore harmony and balance. I'll talk about that in a minute. And then, you know, everyone's free and everything's cool. And the closed fist, and I think, I will now rule and high as sultan! You know. It, it, was, it was discouraging. Lord knows Mass Effect would have a similar, similar problem, where too often Paragon choices were the correct choices, and Renegade were the worst choices. In my personal opinion, Mass Effect 2 probably did the best job of showing Renegade as not evil, and Paragon as not good. But it's a problem they've struggled with in general. One of the alternative ideas I've heard, and I wish I'd come up with this because it's a great idea, but I didn't. Uh, it was an idea I uh, heard in a forum, heard, read in a forum when I was studying up for this, is the idea of making there be four uh, moralities for this. And it's not like they couldn't do this. I mean, they did this in Neverwinter to an extent. You could have palm good, 
palm evil, fist good, fist evil. Now, that's still limiting you to good and evil, whatever, but it would allow for more nuance in how you present your character, which is something I really enjoy in a Bioware game when they do that well, which, if I'm being honest, is not all that often. Dragon Age Origins, excuse me. <laughs> right? Like, I love that idea of being able to be open-palmed evil. It could be very strongly argued that that is exactly what Sun Lee is throughout the course of the game. He follows the way of the open palm and is incredibly evil. Arguably. I'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, and, of course, uh, Hai, the Emperor, very strongly follows the, the philosophy of the closed fist and is evil. Now, I just realized I should clarify that because some people argue that Lee is of the closed fist, not of the open palm. And I will admit it's debatable. In fact, if anything, I would say that what makes Lee unique is he doesn't really adhere to any given philosophy in general. That he's willing to switch between palm and fist more or less at will. Because he doesn't give a crap about any of that. I guess I'll talk about him now, because why not? One of the things I found most interesting about Sun Lee is that he's portrayed as someone who is basically a complete sociopath. In the literal sense of the word. So, I am your daughter. I have a daughter? Hmm. I suppose it, it is interesting to know that my daughter's alive. You know, that's that's cool. It sucks that something that was mine was taken from me, but whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters to him, except for his particular goals. This man, in my opinion, qualifies as a straight-up sociopath. The problem is, every now and again he gets into a little bit too much ego running and indulges in a maniacal laugh every now and again. Probably my favorite example of that is the bad ending. No, not the closed fist ending. The ending where you say, All right. Uh, you killed me, but I came back, and water dragon, and retrained, and I've got rid of the flaw, and I'm ready to fight you. Yeah, you can kill me. I'm cool with that. Why wouldn't I be? <laughs> See, the thing is, I can't actually complain about this, because I like having player options, and I like having this additional ending as an option. And it is truly horrifying. Like, you are venerated. That's funny, he actually keeps his word. You are venerated, there's this great statue of you, and everyone bows and worships you and him. But then he goes like, ha, 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 I'm super evil. And it's it's just really messed up. You get the impression that that's basically the end of society right there. Anyways. But no, in there's several times where he just kind of slips into villain mode for no seemingly explained reason. And I feel like it's d detracting from his character. In fact, I feel like it's out of character for him. This is someone who... How do I phrase this? To me, I would fra I would say he is someone who is eminently logical. In fact, I would almost say he has a similar mindset to the Borg. Hear me out. I swear I'm going somewhere with this. My interpretation of the Borg has always been they are logic without morality. That they are some that they legitimately feel like they are helping others and helping you and enlight uplifting other races into their collective and in so doing improving the collective. It's a natural process of self improvement to try and make things better for them and for everyone else. They're not particularly selfish and they're not particularly evil. They're just the Borg, you know? And that's the impression I got from from him, because to him it's it's the same mentality. This is what matters to me. In his case, it was him being the god who rules over this, the Jade Empire and establishes what he believes to be the proper order of things within this new empire. And upon so doing, 
everything else is expendable. Everything else doesn't matter. It, it kind of gets into that whole definition of victory thing. To him, victory was so important, and his definition of victory is so important, that nothing else had importance. Yeah, I have to spend literally years, decades, in, in, order, in order to set up this plan and manipulate this person and manipulate these people. I will train completely unrelated students who have nothing to do with my, my overall plan. They're just here to make it look like I'm a normal you know, teacher of, of martial arts or whatever. And I will do, and I will arrange the bandit attack. Well, that's debatable, but I will definitely arrange the, the Lao the greater and Lao the lesser and Nathan Fillion, Gao, sorry, Gao, not Lao. <laughs> sorry. I was thinking of Nathan Fillion and Gao at the same time. They just kind of blurred them out. Gao the lesser and Gao the greater. And Nathan Fillion, who was actually really awesome despite the fact that he played a prat. Why did he play a prat? God damn it. He's Nathan Fillion. Anyways. <clears throat> And there was just so much stuff they do that that he does, that he is willing to do, without any regard to anything else. It's like the idea of the villain who is more than willing to degenerate themselves and take torture and humiliation and embarrassment and, and shame, because it doesn't matter. Once they win, they win, and that victory is sufficiently important to them to overwhelm the cost. It's actually boiling it down to basic math which is a purely logical perspective, isn't it? Someone with ego, someone with pride, someone with morality, someone with sensibilities, someone with inclinations or biases or beliefs might say, well, I'm willing to do a lot to accomplish my goals, but I'm not going to do this, 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 and this. But Lee, by contrast, to me, felt like someone who was willing to do literally anything across the scale, from the banal to the incredibly horrific, because it was all worth it to become this new, the god of the new world. <laughs> sorry, sorry, that's a bad reference, I imagine. Some of you won't even get that. Um, That it was all worth it to him. The character I am most reminded of when I think of Lee is actually the Joker when he's well-written. The Joker, as in the Joker who really does not give a crap, who is willing to go way above and beyond what everyone else is because of how little it means to him. That consequence is not something that matters to him. And I feel like the same way with Lee. By contrast, I don't have nearly as much to say about Hai, the other main villain, except that it was awesome to hear Armin Shimmerman. It's always awesome to hear Armin Shimmerman. Um, he felt like someone who was always going to be a bad egg, basically. He, it's implied and stated throughout the course of the game that he was willing to go this whole thing, you know, in order to start this, this conflict and, and deal with the drought uh, for reasons of what amount to desperation. But the impression I got, and please feel free to give your own thoughts on this as well, is that it was still self-interested. It, it, it wasn't just, oh my god, my empire is dying. It was more like, Oh my god, my empire is dying. You know, changing the emphasis there. He was still doing it to fix the empire, but because it was his empire, his eternal empire, that he will rule on high assault and yada yada, right? I, I always got that strong impression that he was far more self-interested, hence why I call him far more of a closed fist follower than Lee, who... I do get the impression that he was legitimately interested in improving the Empire, at least as far as he saw it, and removing the celestial bureaucracy, at least as he saw it. Hence, open palm. Again, debatable, I get it. But given that the, the, the predominant themes of balance and harmony are present throughout the entire game, I feel like it's a fair uh, thing to say. 
I, I jotted down a couple of notes as I was going through, because I want to talk about the celestial bureaucracy, the cycle, and the natural order. They bring up the natural order a lot in this game. Um, the the things I jotted down were the Gollum army, Ravager, the Drought, and the Mother, all of which I felt were good examples. There's others, but good examples of that predominant theme, that when things get out of balance, that when things leave the natural order, bad things happen. Now this makes sense from a from the perspective of the Chinese mythos, which is which is how that's usually portrayed. You know, the natural order is how things should be. There should be a drought for twenty years, and once that drought is done, then something else will happen, right? It's even mentioned, although I don't think they confirm this hundred percent, that his ending of the drought early and forcing the water dragon to supply his area meant that other places in the world did not get that to, to balance out the equation. You know, right? Just balancing back down to zero. So you get this strong impression that harmony and balance are a good thing, which is why I just couldn't understand it throughout the course of the game. Maybe it's just my particular sensibilities, but I look at this and I see the celestial bureaucracy as, at best, a well-meaning antagonist, and at worst, the outright villains of the story. <laughs> and I know that I, that isn't really what the game is going for, but I couldn't help but perceive that as I go through it. Why did they decide the drought needed to happen to begin with? The only things they really mentioned about that that I caught were, well, the this particular empire it needs to end. It needs to crumble and collapse, so we're going to have this drought happen. And it's okay. It's all part of the natural order. And it'll be balanced out further down the line. Or is being balanced out now in other places of the world. Okay. It's hard for me to accept... I'm going to have this horrible, horrific thing happen with the deaths of thousands, if not millions. Horrible deaths, too. Drought is not a fun thing. Um, because it's better in the long run, trust me. You could argue that they're taking the longie, but I'm reminded of the fox. Or was it a wolf? I don't remember. It was, it was in the mother storyline, chapter 5. That was chapter 5, right? Yep, chapter 5. I'm reminded of the story arc there and how uh, she can give a morality tale, which doesn't sound like what we define as morals. Now, in my opinion, that was the point. That was done deliberately, that the celestial bureaucracy values different things and perceives things differently than we do. That makes sense. But that is my point, that I cannot call them good because what they want, what they believe is best, is not what is best for us. It is what is best for them, hence why I say well-meaning antagonists at best. I also felt really strongly that the celestial bureaucracy was, um, what's a good word? A bureaucracy. That it just had so many issues and so many problems in its functioning. I mean, I remember the guys, you have caused me so many problems. Really? Just me? I haven't done that much, dude. Like, how, how do you guys deal with every time a major battle breaks out where hundreds of thousands of people are fighting at the same time? I got the very strong impression of, for lack of a better term, incompetence when it came to the celestial bureaucracy. Uh, in fact, the word I want to use specifically is bloated. That they haven't quite gotten used to dealing with the overwhelming amount of crap they have to do in order to keep things running. Now, I'm not saying they need to be destroyed, because it's pretty clear they do need to keep things running, because of the nature of the setting. I mean, we see what happens when the water dragon is, is usurped, and the, the consequences of that. Which brings me to the cycle of death and rebirth. I might have missed it. They talk often about how bad it is with the spirits warming the earth. 
one of the things that's mentioned is the idea that the spirit problem is just going to continue getting worse and worse and worse. So let's presume for a moment you have one spirit. Okay, hear me out. This one spirit can't really be destroyed in the strictest sense of the word. It has to be guided and then sent down and blah, 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 blah. So if you defeat it, which is possible, it'll eventually come back. But let's say it defeats you. Well, now you're dead. Well, you, spirit two, are now a spirit because you can't pass, move on anyways because the water dragon's over there doing her thing. And by doing her thing, I mean being slowly bled for her water and being kept a prisoner in her own corpse. Um, so... Now we have two spirits. Well, let's say each of them kill two people. And you already see where I'm going with this. The spirit army will never cease to expand because it can't be properly removed until true control over the spirits can be established, which High showed no real interest in actually doing, and Lee might have been able to accomplish that. He does state outright that that is his goal. I'm going to send, this, send the spirits on. I'm going to fix all this mess. But we have no information on if he's actually capable of doing that at all. Here's an interesting question for you. One of the big points about the whole thing is becoming a god. I shall become the god of the new world. And yet, this is Chinese lore, or I should say based on Chinese lore. A god is simply another being in this setting. I mean, yeah, they're, they're certainly higher tier than humans, but they're only a higher tier than humans. This isn't, you know, you know this isn't Q. There we go. Who could just do that and wipe out I don't know, half the reality or something like that. That's not feasible. They don't have that kind of power. So what would happen if the rest of the bureaucracy opposed Lee? What if any of the other bureaucracy opposed him? Would someone of the Water Dragon's equivalent power be able to fight him, for example? Since, remember, his own power is being divined from her, putting them at about equal level. You see where I'm going with this. It gets across the idea that even if he tried to usurp this and present this force upon the celestial bureaucracy and the physical world, that it wouldn't work. There's simply too much in the way of that. He has been upgraded, but only by a single step. He basically has better magic than he had before. And remember, magic is a normal thing in this setting, so that's not really saying much either. Anyways getting back to the spirit problem. So the spirits are an ongoing problem, spreading and spreading and spreading. Is rebirth happening? Because I know there's the whole reincarnation thing. And they mention that several times, that she governs the, you know, the, the wheel. They mention several times the wheel, and that she also is part of reincarnation and rebirth. Are new people being born during this time? Like, uh, on, on one extent, you kind of have to assume that they are. But on another extent, maybe I'm speaking a little bit from Pillars of Eternity, but I get this strong impression that, at the very least, less new people are being born. Because no, the people who died aren't being recycled back. Right? Or is this their explanation for population growth, which means that the population would stop growing and would, in fact, probably start shrinking because people aren't going to have enough children. Blah, 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 blah. You get it, right? It, it called to mind my... How do I phrase this? This, to me, was the biggest and most interesting threat of the setting and of the game in general. Yeah, there's the Lotus Assassins. They're pathetic. Like, at first, they're like, oh, we are super amazing. But then you learn more about them, and... Whew, yeah, those guys are pathetic. Um, So there's the Lotus Assassins. Yeah, Death's Head, who is definitely the bad guy. No, he's not. And then there's the Emperor, who's definitely the bad guy. And then there's Lee. And this whole time, I'm just thinking, guys, spirit problem? <laughs> I mean, hello? This is a huge problem. 
And they were just like, yeah, you know, we'll fi- I will fix it. I will fix it. Okay. No one's doing anything about it. I guess I'll defeat you so I can release the water dragon. Not because I agree with her. Not because I like her, because I don't and I don't. But because this spirit problem needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I also want to talk about two other things. Three other things, excuse me. Um. So, oh, I never finished talking about the open palm and the closed fist, did I? So, to me, I like the concept. Because, really, the open palm and the closed fist are the same as how I interpret the light side and the dark side. Now, obviously, that is debatably true. And as I've discussed, including in my KOTOR lore run, the definition of the force isn't. And it's being changed. Actually, with the recent AU stuff, they've been trying to codify what the Force is, and it is definitely not the way that I have interpreted it in the past. But the idea is, this is all about uh, logic, um, peace, uh, letting go of control, and basically going with the flow. Whereas this is far more about... Uh, ambition or aggression, making things happen, doing things, feeling, emotion. So this is stability, uh, internal, I should say, internal stability, and this is internal movement. And I'm saying these words very carefully because this is not order and this is not chaos. That's not what this is about. This is about how you perceive things philosophically and thus how you approach the world of you around you. Um, and that's how I wanted to approach the game, because I, in all honesty, I would probably lean more towards the closed fist philosophically and the dark side philosophically, because I believe very strongly in emotions, in action, and in doing. But that is so I, I, I played this game and I'm like, this time, this time I'm going to go more closed fist. I ended up reloading a save because I was going close. I was like, oh my god, that's horrible, was basically my reaction. Um, it was such a damn shame. Like I said, that's what really sold me when I first got into this. I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself. Let's move on, let's move on. I don't have much to say about your your companions this time around. I'm not just going to forget Candor's order this time, I swear. But I really have nothing to say about any of them. Um, my biggest complaint I've already mentioned. Too often they will just flat out say, here is what I am feeling right now, and here's what I'm thinking right now. Here's what I believe about this. And something about it just kind of pulled me out of them to the point where I just didn't care that much about most of them. Uh, the biggest thing I want to comment on is the whirlwind and how he's kind of a horrible person who probably shouldn't actually be in my party. Although that is a Bioware staple, isn't it? Having at least one villainous person or one horrible person in your party, right? Um, I did like Sagacious. I liked Sagacious Zoo a lot, actually. He was probably uh, one of the only examples in the game, in my opinion, of someone who really followed the philosophy of the closed fist without being an evil bastard. Uh, someone who firmly believed in action, in aggression, in doing, in feeling, in moving, but without just being, <laughs> and then I will destroy those puppies. <laughs> anyways, anyways. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is, and I wrote down his full name so I wouldn't forget it, Sir Roderick Ponce von Fondlebottom, the Magnificent Bastard. I don't have much to add to that. I only have two things I wanted to say. First of all, that his section was awesome and that everyone who plays this game should go out of their way to do that. And second, he's a mishmash of multiple different European, or I should say non-East uh, Asian cultures kind of shoved together. And I found that kind of interesting. 
because I wonder if that was on purpose. We uh, have an unfortunate problem in fiction, especially to blur Chinese, uh, Japanese, Korean, Taiwan, you know, all of these into one general culture, which is obviously incredibly inaccurate. You know, Philippines, you know, all, that's obviously in, ridiculously inaccurate. But usually that's why it's usually just referred to as Asian or East Asian or whatever, right? What we see in Sir Roderick is the exact same thing. So he's got Spanish, he's got British, a little bit of French in there, a little bit of German in there, right? Just kind of mishmash because Europe is all one place, right? <laughs> you get my point. I just thought that was amusing. And, of course, John Cleese was amazing. It's funny because he's so hilariously, stereotypically awful but they portray it completely for laughs, ignoring the fact that one of the first things he does when you find him is he shoots a guy to death. <laughs> and I'm laughing about it. Anyways, anyways. The last thing I want to talk about. So, one of the questions that was posited to me while I was working on this rumination, because I mentioned to a friend, oh, God, you know, Jade Empire 2. And they were like, well, where do you go with it? Right? I mean, you have to decide which ending is canon because the endings are so violently different from each other. And my first thought, admittedly, was to pick the bad ending. Okay, the world has been usurped and Lee is in charge and he's, you know, he's got his whole new empire, his new empire going. And now we have to do something about that. But the more I thought about it, the more I said, hang on, hang on. Why don't we go ahead and go with the open palm ending? Excuse me, the good ending. Why don't we go ahead and go with that direction and cover what the hell was going on with the, you know, I don't think they ever named it. The nothing is what I have it written down in my notes here. The non-existent creature, the thing behind the mother. There's implications in Chapter 5 that there is stuff beyond the natural order of things, and that this stuff is unaffected by and cannot be influenced by the celestial bureaucracy. When they first mentioned that, my first thought was, oh, they're talking about people. Yeah, okay. But they weren't. They were talking about whatever thing that was that we never actually fight and we never really interact with in any significant manner. Why not go in some direction with that? Because another thing that's mentioned, or at least hinted at, is that everything that's been going on over the last several years with the enslavement of the water dragon and all that is is something that has been bringing the attention of these nothings, these these outsiders or whatever the hell, hell they are, into the setting in a way that usually they wouldn't be. Why not follow through on that idea? Really develop the concept of these outside nothing things and try to have a more existential threat it would even give a good, give, have, be a good way to try and examine the actual concepts as stated of the open palm and the closed fist because the open palm and the closed fist would both want to stop that and they would both want to do so in completely different ways. We must find bonds of unity and, and camaraderie and we will form a unified front or something like that and we will try to weather this storm whereas the closed fist would be more like we will have to find the greatest of our number and strike through and everyone will have to turn into fighting for themselves and pushing back and so forth and so on. I just think that would be a great direction to go with a hypothetical Jade Empire 2. Uh, so here's a link to my Kickstarter. Where No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. Unfortunately, I just don't have much else to share. Uh, it was it was a treat going back through this game. I just I probably can't picture myself doing it again, with the possible exception of a lore run, because honestly, as with most Bioware games, this game is very primed for lore run material. So make of that what you will. I'll see you guys next time.